you know, psychologists, they say that um, there is one clear uh, emotional sign in a marriage that almost always leads to divorce. Um, this emotional sign is one that maybe people uh, have heard, but it's not really that, uh, you know, you don't really think about it too often. It's not, it's not anger, uh, it's not frustration, and it's not even hatred. The clearest emotional sign that leads to divorce is usually indifference, they say. Uh, when one or both of the spouses are indifferent to one another, uh, and they're indifferent to their marriage, uh, they say that it is a direct precursor uh, to divorce. And they say that the reason why is because indifference leaves the heart open. Uh, and they say that when the heart is open, what, what ends up happening is that temptation begins to arise. And that people, even if you are in a committed marriage, when indifference happens, your eyes begin to wander. And it is at that time you begin to try to, fill, try to find fulfillment in something else or in someone else. And so when you look at the statistics for adultery, man, it is almost never when the spouse is really upset or when the spouse is really frustrated or when the spouse is filled with, with anger or, or hatred. It's almost never usually a reason why people commit adultery. The reason why people commit adultery is because their marriage has grown indifferent. It has grown cold. And so as time goes on, the spouse, their eyes begin to wander towards somewhere else. They try to find fulfillment in something else. And then that something else becomes someone else. You see, in Jesus' letter to Ephesus, to this church here, there's this really famous line. And it's a line that I think a lot of us have heard before. It's in verse 4. And it says, But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. You see, when it says that Ephesus has left their first love, it doesn't mean that, um, he, that the church has become frustrated with God. It doesn't mean that the church has become uh, angry with God. Uh, it means that they have become indifferent about God. It means that before they were maybe passionate, before maybe they were in love with God, but over time, something's happened where, man, they, they, things have cooled down. And so Jesus, in this one letter, he says, look, you may be doing everything else right. Everything else may be going well, but for you, you have lost your first love. And so watch out. Because in your indifference, what's going to happen is that you will become tempted to make your eyes wander and look elsewhere. And because you don't find your fulfillment in me, what's going to end up happening is that your fulfillment is going to be found in something else or in someone else. Be careful. You see, this is the statement that Christ is giving to the church here. And he's warning them. He's saying, wake up. Wake up. Grow in love. Grow in passion. And therefore, ignite the love that you had for me. Church, the Christian life is actually really simple when you think about it. It's not about me it's not about you, and it's not even about the church. It's about Jesus Christ. The question is, do you love Jesus? That's it. That's what the Christian life is. It's about loving God. It's about loving him completely, 
is about loving him sacrificially, is about loving him obediently. That's what it means to be a Christian. We can have a lot of other dressings around it. We can do a lot of other things that, that complement that. We can say, we can talk about giving and serving and loving each other, all that kind of stuff. But the main crux of what it means to be a Christian, to live a Christian life, is to love your Lord. It's to love Jesus Christ. The question is, do you love Jesus? That's why in the Bible, the greatest commandment is very simple. And there's only one major main commandment. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might. Everything else flows from that. And this is the thing that we kind of forget a lot of times, especially in the modern church. Because the question that we always ask is, how is your relationship with Jesus Christ, right? I say that a lot to other people. I ask that a lot. People ask that to me. And you know what people always answer? They say, oh, it's going well because my QT is doing okay. Or they say, oh, it's not doing that well because I'm not doing, I'm not really praying as much as I was before. You see, do you see how we always end up connecting our relationship with God with things that we are doing? But the better way to connect that of how your relationship with God is just simply this question, do you love Jesus Christ? Do you love him more than you did yesterday? Do you love him more than when you first met him? Are you growing in your desire to know him more and more? And if your answer to that is yes, then praise the Lord, your relationship with God is growing. It's where it should be. You are on the right track. And yet if it is waning, if it is dying, if you can say honestly to yourself, when you look upon your heart, when you look at your life, and you can say, oh, my, I'm not growing. My love for the Lord, it's died. It's dying. It's not what it was before. Then this is Jesus' word to you. Because this is the word that he gives to Ephesus. No one else knew how the church of Ephesus was doing except for this church, except for the individuals there. And yet Jesus knew. And he could see into their heart. And he could see, yes, they're doing everything else good. They're doing their QT. They're doing their Bible study. They're doing everything else. And yet the question that he's asking them, and the question I believe that he's asking us, is do you love me? Do you love me? You see, church, this is where Ephesus has failed as a church. Because what we're going to see is that they worked hard. They were even gospel-centered. But for them, their love for Jesus Christ has disappeared. And so what I want to do is just look at three things as we go through this passage. First is praise. Second is the problem. And third is the solution. First is the praise, second is the problem, and third is the solution. Now, just to give you a little background for the city of Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus was a very unique uh, and very interesting city. Now, there were two things that really set this city apart from everywhere else during that time. The first was that it had one of the most famous harbors in all of Asia Minor. It was extremely large, it was extremely well made, and it was one that people constantly, ships constantly went in and out of. The other thing about Ephesus was that it had four major roads that went through it. 
And so in order to get to anywhere during that time, all, and anywhere in Asia, you almost had to go through Ephesus. And so people from every direction, going to everywhere, would always be going through Ephesus. What did, what did that mean? It meant that Ephesus was the trade center of the known world. It meant that it housed some of the most influential and some of the most powerful and wealthy people at that time. And it was also a magnet for criminals and for thieves. Now, the other thing that Ephesus was known for was for its religion. Because what we know about Ephesus is that it was the center of worship for the Greek god Artemis. Now, the Greek god, uh, the worship for the Greek god of Artemis was uh, beyond description, if I could say that. Uh, what, what you would see in Ephesus were all of these different temples. And all these temples would have thousands of priestesses, right? Thousands of people who would serve and, and work at these temples, but they were just priestesses by name. What they actually were were prostitutes. And so what they would have as their form of worship were these mass orgies. Just all day, right? It would be, it was, I mean, I'm thinking it would be crazy, right? Was, they would be doing these things. And the reason why they would be having this is because their belief was that in their time of, of, of whatever ecstasy or, or doing that, they would be one step closer to reaching the gods. And so you would see in the city of Ephesus, all of these festivals happen, all of these parades happen. You would see all of these influential and powerful people throwing money around because they want to show off their wealth to the trade capital of the world. You saw all of these thieves and all of these beggars coming to steal money and to take money. And then you would see these prostitutes running around sleeping with other people. This was the city of Ephesus. And huddled in the middle of this city was this church. Can you imagine? Can you even imagine how hard it must have been to be a Christian there? And this is why Jesus starts the letter to Ephesus with praise. Verse 2 starts with, I know your works. I know your toil and I know your patient endurance. See, the, work, the word for work is another way of saying, I know your labor to the point of exhaustion. It's the kind of toiling that you do when you spend everything. It's the phrase that we have, your blood, sweat, and tears. It's when you pour out everything for the kingdom of God. And so when you put your head to bed, man, you are just passed out because you have poured everything. And that's what he's saying to this church. He's saying, well done because you have poured out absolutely everything you possibly could have. You have done the work you needed to do. You didn't leave a cent behind. You didn't leave anything behind. You have poured into these people. You have poured into this church. You have done a good job there. These Christians worked hard for the kingdom. But not only that, they persevered through times of difficulty. When Jesus is saying patient endurance, it literally means to stay calm under pressure. It's this image of a pot under some fire, 
that's boiling, but the contents never spill out. It's constantly under pressure. It's constantly under fire, and yet it stays still there. Jesus is telling the church that he is proud of the fact that they are willing to work hard and that they're willing to persevere and stay faithful in the fire. Look, I know that a lot of us can become discouraged because this world is such a hypercritical one. Many times we are not ever recognized for our good deeds, and yet we're immediately called out during the times when we mess up, during the times that we do something wrong, during the times that we fall into sin. But church, I want to encourage you that even if no one else sees what you're going through, Jesus sees it. That even when you feel like you are alone, Jesus is next to you. And that there is going to come a day, whether that's going to be soon or whether that's going to be later, when you stand before the Lord, and he is going to be able to say those same words to you, well done. I'm glad that you worked so hard. I am proud of you. I know that for a lot of us, man, we have been dealt, we have been dealt with, with mentors, with parents, with friends who have always brought us down, who can never say a good thing in our lives, who always say, why can't you be better? But I want you to know that our Jesus is a father who is different. He is a father who loves you, who knows you, and who recognizes what you have done. He's not someone who's going to let those things pass by, but he counts your deeds, he sees your sweat, he sees the work that you are doing, and he is proud of you. Don't forget that. You are doing a good work. And when you stick through hard times, when you persevere through difficulties, man, the Lord our God sees that and he is proud of you. You see, Jesus also praises the church for knowing what's right and what's wrong. Because at the end of verse 2 it says, And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. You see, this church in Ephesus, what they had was discernment. They were able to tell which apostles were from God, and they were able to tell which apostles were from Satan. This church was smart in the way that when they were able to hear false teachings, when they were able to hear the false gospel, immediately they knew, okay, this is wrong. I want this to get away from here. This has no place within this church. And when they're able to hear the true gospel, when they were able to hear good teaching, they said, yes, yes and amen. I want that here. Let's keep hearing it. Let's keep going. And you see, the reason why Ephesus was able to do that so well and the reason why this church was commended by Jesus Christ as saying you are a discerning church was really as, as for a simple reason. It's because they were taught well. They were taught well. They were what you would call today a gospel-centered church. Their teachings, their preaching, the way that they were counseled, the way that they were ministered to, they were taught by, the, by some of the greatest leaders of that, ta- of that time. We know Paul, we know Aquila, Priscilla, we know Timothy. These were the leaders of the church there. And I know that they would have made sure to teach the gospel again and again and again. They were inundated with that word. And therefore, 
because they understood the gospel so intimately, they were able to tell when it was false. Church, do you know the gospel? Do you know the gospel that intimately? That when you hear a false word, that when you hear a false teacher, that when you hear a false apostle, you are able to immediately discern it. Man, I hope and I pray that that would be us today. Because guess what? False prophets aren't just back then. There are false prophets today. There are false churches today. There are false cults today. And you have to be on your guard because they are everywhere. And you have to be careful. Church, the gospel is truly a simple and yet powerful word. Because it is the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is us knowing that we are sinful and that there is nothing that we could do in order to earn heaven. But God so loved us that he loved the world, that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. Not for his sins, for our sins. And so that when he died, his blood covers us. And so when we believe in what he's done for us, when we believe in his resurrection after three days, we are covered by his blood and we are found perfect under the sight of the Lord and we are heirs to everything that Jesus has. Yes and amen to that. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more you need to put under that. There's nothing less that you need to take out from that. And as long as you are inundated with that word, as long as you know the gospel, as long as you can say it in your sleep, man, there's nothing here that is ever going to stray you away from the gospel. There's nothing that is going to stray you away from the church. There will be nothing that strays you away from Jesus Christ. You will be able to discern what is right. You will be able to discern what is wrong. You're not going to have to wonder, oh, is this part right? Is this part wrong? Are they sticking to the gospel? Look, I don't think that the church of Ephesus was one that had all of these scholars, all of these different things. No, I think that for them, they were taught the gospel clear and, clear and center. There's nothing else there. But because of that, because of that, they grew in discernment. Because they understood it so well. They grew in wisdom. And because of that, Jesus is telling them, man, I'm proud of the way that you were able to discern what is right and what is wrong. Ephesus was a great church. And look, I'm not saying this because I'm biased. Maybe I am a little biased. But when I look at the praises of Ephesus and when I see kind of the things that they do really well, I see a lot of similarities with our church. Because I see a lot of people who are so hardworking. I see so many people who serve and give and, and really their blood, sweat, and tears are into all of these different ministries. And I see people, man, who I, I get revved up, I get fired up because I see them at all hours of the day coming in, practicing, worshiping, just giving everything to the Lord. I see people who are gospel-centered, who are so hungry to know the Lord. I see so many people who are able to discern what is right and what is wrong because, man, they are so, the gospel is not just a, a, a side of who they are. It's a piece of who they are. It's all of who they are. And so for me, I see so many similarities with our church, with the church of Ephesus. Man, I think our church is really a church of, of great character in this way. Now, even with all that praise, here comes the problem. Because verse 4 says, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. 
You see, Ephesus was one of the greatest churches in the known world. But even if it seemed like the model church for everyone else, Jesus was able to see through their exterior and he was able to see into their heart. And what he saw troubled him. And what he saw was so dangerous that he wrote a letter discussing all of those things to them. And what he saw was this. He saw a church that did the motions, but their passion and their love for God had disappeared. He saw a church that was serving and giving because that were, that's what they were supposed to do, but their love for God had turned into indifference. You see, the Bible is full of imagery of the marriage that the church has with the Lord. But what's happened in Ephesus is that their love for God had ended. Their love for God had grown cold. It had grown indifferent. And what they were trying to do was trick God into thinking that they were still on fire for him by serving and giving and trying to care for others. And so they said, you know what? Even though my heart is far away from him, I'm still going to do the motions. I'm still going to go through the actions. And maybe God is still going to be okay with that. And yet what Jesus was able to see is say, no, no, I see your heart. I see more than the motions that you do. I see more than the serving and the giving that you do. I see that you are no longer there with me. I see that your heart is no longer for me. So return to your first love. Return back to me because this is not what I'm going to do. This is not what I am about. God is not going to be pleased with that type of action. God will never be satisfied with that type of heart. And church, I believe that this is one of the greatest warnings that God is giving Shining Star today, giving to us right now. Because for a lot of us, we are hardworking, we are persevering, we are gospel-centered in our theology. We are, we are a church in the middle of one of the most powerful cities in the world And so we can look at all of that and we can think that, man, we are doing well because we are going through these actions. But I wonder if God were to look at your heart today. I wonder if God were to look at the heart of the church right now. Would he be pleased with us? Would he say, well done, you are loving me, you you, you have put me in the center. Or would he say, you have forgotten your first love? Would he say, look, your love for me has waned, it has died, stop tricking others, stop trying to trick me, and come back. What would his response be to us? Think about it this way, church. Say your spouse came to you one day, and out of the blue said, you know, um, I, I, kinda, I don't love you anymore. Uh, but, guess, but here's the thing, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to still be super faithful to you, right? And I'm, gonna, I'm still going to uh, I'm gonna provide for you. Uh, I'm going to eat food with you like every night if you want. Uh, I'm going to like sleep uh, in the same bed with you. Uh, I'm going to be, I'm gonna be a great father uh, to our children. I'm going to be a great mother to our children. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do these things. The, the, the thing is though, like I'm going to do all that, but I just, I just don't love you. That's cool with you? Is that okay? For for anyone who knows anything about marriage, the answer to that 
would always be 100% no. Absolutely not. There's, there would be no person who would ever accept those, term, who accept those terms. But the church of Ephesus, what we see is, was doing exactly that. They were saying, Lord, I don't love you like I once did. I don't love you in that way. That's gone now. But I want you to know that I'm still going to serve you. I want you to know that I'm still going to give. I want you to know that I'm still going to go through the motions. I'll still sing. I'll still do. I'll still work. I'll still believe in the Bible. I just, I just don't love you, though. Is that okay with you? Is that okay? And what Jesus is saying here is, no, I don't accept those terms. No, absolutely not. I want your heart or I don't want anything. And so this is my warning to you. Return back to me. Return back to me. And I know that's a hard word for a lot of us to hear, but I want you to know that's not where God leaves us. That's not where Jesus kind of ends the story. Because to this problem, Jesus gives a solution. And it's in verse 5. It says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Church, if this is you, if you have forgotten your first love, if you feel as if your love for the Lord has begun to wane, has begun to die down, if you have started to just simply go through the motions, man, I pray that these words would stick to you. And the first thing that Jesus tells the church is to remember where you have fallen. In other words, think about your life before you met Christ. The reason that we ask people to share our testimonies is, is not just for that person who shares their testimony, it's for us, it's for me, it's for you. It's so that we can be reminded, man, of how good God is, of how much he's changed our lives, of how much he's changed your life. It is one of the greatest blessings of my life to be able to hear your guys' stories and to be able to see just how much God has changed you from the inside out how much your life has changed, how much, your, how much your actions have changed, how much the way that you treat other people have changed. Man, the only person who is able to change you in that way, in a permanent and lasting way, is Jesus Christ. And one of the greatest reminders for us is when we hear other people's testimonies. We need to remember our first love. And one of the best ways to do that is to remember our lives before Christ. I know that some of us are almost envious of people who've had terrible backgrounds. I know some of us are, have grown up in the church and we're like, man, you know, I, I, I lived a pretty good life. You know, I've, I've been pretty, you know, I haven't done really anything too, too bad. And so you know, my life before Christ and, and after Christ, there's, there's not that much of a difference. But I want you to know that no matter where you were before Christ, your life has changed. And I think that if you are able to say, no, 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 I don't think my life has changed very much, then I would question, I would say, man, I want you to check your heart and really check and see if you really have been saved. Because I can guarantee you that even if you have lived a morally good life, that, man, your life would have changed 180 degrees when you, met, when you meet Jesus Christ. 
You know, I, I, I'm going to pull a Paul right now, and I'm going to say, look, if you've served, if you've, if you lived a morally good life before Christ, and therefore it's hard for you to see how good God has been, then trust me, I don't think you've lived a morally, as morally good a life as I did before Christ, right? I want you to know that my parents were pastors. I want you to know that my brother was a ministry. I want you to know that my sister was a ministry. I want you to know that I was a youth group president. I want you to know that I was on the praise team. I want you to know that I did QT every day. I was forced to at least. I want you to know that I prayed every morning. I went to Sevigilo. I went to early morning service every morning. I want you to know that I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't date. Not by my choice, but still I didn't date. I did all of those different things. But I was saved in college, and I remember that one moment. I remember when I was saved. Because before then, I can tell you with my entire heart that I was purposeless and I was aimless. I had done everything right. And yet for my life, I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what direction to go to. And everything seemed temporal. And yet when I met Jesus Christ for the first time, I realized that I could put my faith and my hope and my trust in something eternal. I could put my trust in someone who wasn't going to abandon me. I could put my trust in someone who I could trust in my whole heart. I could put my trust in someone who loved me before and was just waiting for me to come to him. And that was the moment my life changed. Everything else was before Christ. I lived a morally good life, but my heart was not changed. It was in that moment that my heart of stone became a heart of flesh. And I can tell you that it was in college when my life forever changed for him. Church, there is a moment for you when your life forever changes. When is that moment? Even if you have lived a morally good life, even if things seem like they haven't changed that much, you were born in this world, your mind and your direction and everything was guided by this world, but then Jesus came and he saved you. When was that moment? Remember it. Remember when you were fallen. And secondly, the solution that God gives Number one is to remember when you have fallen, but number two is to repent. Repent. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Church, we have to repent because a lack of love towards God is sin. Not loving God with all that we are, that's sin. Indifference to God is sin. Having a waning heart, not being passionate about him, those things are sin. And remember that when you are indifferent towards the Lord, your eyes begin to wander. And whether you know it or not, man, something else may have taken the place of God within your life. And so therefore, repent. Get on your knees before the Lord and ask him to forgive you. Ask him to forgive you for that lack of love. Remember, repent, and then repeat what you first did. Church, one of the greatest joys in ministry is to see people come and know the Lord. And when you see people fall in love with Christ, man, one of the greatest things is to see how much they want to serve, how much they want to give, and how much they want to tell their friends. 
they want to learn so badly. They're always asking these questions about the Bible. They're always asking questions about God. And they, want, they always want to pass on what they, what they know too. They want to sing. They want to know these songs. They want to uh, pray. They want to, do, they want to know how to pray. They want to do all these. It's so cool to see their passion. Church, I want you to know that those were the things that you first did as well. That if you have been following Christ for a year, five years, ten years, twenty years, those were the things that you did when you first came to know the Lord. Do them again. If you once taught before but you don't teach now, if you once prayed before but now you don't really pray, if you always used to come on Sunday every single week, but now it's not really something that you prioritize as much. If you were once a, a part of life group and you were serving and you were giving, but now life group is just kind of on and off for you. If you used to go to uh, every, if you used to attend every opportunity to be trained and to, to be fed through Bible study and through all this stuff, but now you think that because of work, because of school, you, it's just, you just don't have enough uh, time for that. I want you to know that that may be evidence of your loss of your first love. That may be evidence that maybe your heart isn't in the right place. And that may be evidence that Jesus Christ is speaking to you today through this passage. Remember how you were. Remember how it was. Repent before God. And then repeat the things that you used to do. This is how you start the fire that you have for the Lord. This is how you come before the Lord. And this is how God is going to reignite your heart. Church, I pray that in this season, man, that we would be so on fire for the Lord. I have been praying for revival to happen upon this place. I have been praying for revival to happen upon your heart, upon your soul as we move forward. But those things are only going to happen when we remember our first love. And church, I think the most beautiful thing is know that even though you may have forgotten Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ has not forgotten you. He will not forget you. He has stayed by your side. He sees your actions. He sees your work. And even in your loneliest of times, he is by you. Within a marriage, they say that indifference when, between both spouses are what truly kills a marriage. I want you to know that even if you are indifferent, our husband, our, our Jesus Christ, our Lord of Lords, our, our King of Kings, he is not indifferent to you. The Bible says that he cares for you. He is on fire for you. And that he is praying on your behalf. Thank God. Thank you, Lord, that you are not indifferent to us. He loves us, and it's our turn to go back to him. Amen? Let's pray.